0: Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Western North Carolina. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake up call on Sports Country Radio. November 14, 2023. Week to go before Thanksgiving. Chilly morning here in the mountains in the mid 30s this morning, but you know, it's to be expected. Um, I promise we have uh, sports to get to this morning. It was uh, uh, an interesting night of Monday Night Football, I guess. <laughs> some, some The strange doings in the NFL this season continue. We'll get to that in a minute, but there's a few other things I want to get to first. This first one, I, look, this isn't sports, but I, I saw this yesterday, and I said, yeah, I got to bring this up. Um, <laughs> there is an orthodontist. I live in North Carolina, all right? I moved down here a couple of years ago from New England. Uh, one, of the, one of the best things I've ever done. Um, with the exception of the gun culture that is here in the South. And, and it's not just the South, obviously. It's everywhere. But it's really prevalent here in the South. There is an orthodontist in North Carolina that is running a promotion. That is called Grins and Glocks. Grins and Glocks. Essentially, what he is doing is anybody anybody who comes in to get the Invisalign uh, teeth a uh, uh, straightening situation. It's it basically it's braces without. Having braces and it can't be used for everybody, obviously. But for people that just need minor adjustments, they have these like uh, these clear things that go over your teeth, uh, and it's called an Invisalign. Well, anybody who signs up for this, uh, they get a free Glock 19 along with their Invisalign treatment. I'm not kidding. This is unbelievable. Now the uh, the uh, orthodontist in question, a guy by the name of Jason Gladwell, is saying, hey, look, not everybody that comes into our office is going to be eligible. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the person that gets the Invisalign treatment has to actually be the one uh, to get the gun, and they have to be eligible, which means, you know, they have to f- still pass a background check, uh, et cetera. Et cetera which is all well and good, but it's just the idea of it. Hey, come on in and get your teeth fixed, and we'll give you a gun. Next thing it's going to be, buy a new Chevy Silverado, get a gun. Uh, it's unbelievable. Now, Invisalign, uh, a line technology who makes that product, you know, wrote in a statement, uh, they didn't know anything about it. They, they found out after the fact, and they said, look, we've been around for 25 years. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been helping doctors transform smiles, yada, yada. But this promotion does not reflect our brand purpose. Hey, no kidding. (laughs) Oh my God. You know, it's, um, we have a business not far from where I live. It's actually in Blairsville, Georgia. Uh, it's my wife works in Blairsville, Georgia. It's about twenty five minutes from our house, about probably about fifteen miles. They have a business there and they have huge billboards along the roads as you're heading into Blairsville from both directions, and it says, "Guns and drugs. That's the name of the business. It's a pharmacy that also sells guns, but their slogan is guns and drugs. Anybody who has visited me here and has seen those signs has laughed their rear ends off. My my stepson had, had me stop so he could take a picture of the billboard so he could take it back to Florida and show the people in Florida how nuts the people in North Carolina and Georgia are, and that's saying something. <laughs> but that, guns and drugs, yeah, buddy. So now you can go get uh, some orthodontic work. Get a Glock. That's on the news last night, by the way. Did you see the the violent crime? in Washington DC and the the carjackings and car thefts in Washington DC the numbers are up 98% this year but we need more guns god we need more guns especially people that are getting their teeth fixed they definitely need guns It's just idiocy you know and it's you know and I, it's this it's it's my second amendment rights you know hey again and I'll say this till the cows come home the idea behind the second amendment when it was written by our founding fathers has been perverted into 20 you know into 2023 i am not against guns please don't misunderstand me i'm not saying nobody should own a gun but there needs to be more restrictions on guns Nobody needs a semi-automatic anything unless you're law enforcement. When this, you know, I've said this before and I'll continue to say it. When this amendment was written to our Constitution, it was written because we had just come out of a war against Great Britain and there was great distrust of people in power. And when this amendment was written, it was about a militia, first of all, to to have a a militia. And people have taken that. That means, well, just the average American is now a member of the militia. But it was when the weapons were muzzle-loading muskets. It took you damn near 30 seconds to load the thing. It wasn't written based on today's technology. Because I can guarantee you that our founding fathers would not have been okay with everybody walking around packing heat. <laughs> it's just crazy. You know, and look, I my I have neighbors that have guns and, and good for them. You know, I don't want one in my house. You know, an airsoft rifle, that's what I want in my house. That's good enough for me. A pellet gun so I can shoot the squirrels that are trying to eat my garden. You know, to just to scare them off. You know, to scare off a raccoon is trying to get in my chicken area. That's what I want. I don't need a gun. Now, if the Russians are coming or the Chinese are coming, get me a gun. But that's what we need it for. We don't, you know, but that's my that's my particular view on it. But, you know, the, the Supreme Court continues to, you know, we're having arguments in the Supreme Court last week about whether people that have uh, restraining orders against them uh, should still be able to keep their guns. Uh, no, they shouldn't. They have a restraining order against them because they've shown violent tendencies. They sure shall hell should not have a gun. I almost said a different word there. <laughs> but, you know, that's just my opinion. But the Supreme Court continues to, uh, you know, because it's a conservative Supreme Court, continues to make it easy for people to not only have guns, uh, but keep them even when they uh, pose a danger to other people. It's nuts. You know, but this is the same Supreme Court that you know takes free trips from people and you know takes all kinds of perks, and you know, they they just they just passed an ethics code yesterday. What a joke this is! Uh, because there's no teeth in it. I mean, you can't they can't. Have, who's going to enforce it? You know, it's basically a, a a wink, wink, handshake agreement between the nine justices that they're all going to. Oh yeah, we'll follow the code. Yeah, we won't take free stuff or we'll disclose. You know, come on, come on, it's just nuts. Anyway, so that. That was that was the uh, that's the non sports portion of the program. But when I saw the thing with the you know uh, get your teeth fixed and get a gun, I just I pot lost it. It was unbelievable. Um, if you remember, yesterday we talked about Jimbo fire uh, Jimbo Fisher being fired at Texas A and M and what a joke it is, and you know the fact that they owe him uh, you know seventy five million dollars. Um, because they had given him a ten-year contract back in twenty a, 20, a ten-year contract extension back in twenty twenty-one for a guy uh, who's well over five hundred in his career there, and the, yesterday the AD said, "Well, we fired him because we we felt we were uh, quote unquote stuck in neutral." You know, everybody in the SEC has these visions that they should be good as Georgia and Alabama, and the, the fact of the matter is, folks, that it it's not that easy. That is a tough conference, you know. And some, you know, you can want all you want, but Jimbo Fisher is a good coach, and now they owe him seventy-five million or seventy-six million dollars. How about this one? Since the start of twenty twenty-two, the Power Five conferences, the the quote-unquote big boys in college football, that really aren't college football anymore. It's more, you know, it's it's you know, it's it's pro football's minor leagues, basically, is what it is, but. The, the power five conferences owe a 146 million dollars to football coaches that have been fired since the 2022 season. So in the last basically the last calendar year, they are on the hook for 146 million dollars. So 76 million to Jimbo Fisher but then Auburn owns their coach like uh, their former coach Brian Harson 15 and a half. Scott Frost, who got fired from Nebraska, is owed fifteen million. Uh, Jeff Collins got fired from Georgia Tech; he's owed eleven. Paul Chris from Wisconsin owes eleven. Uh, Colorado owes their coach Herm Edwards, who got fired, is owed, owed like four and a half million. Uh, Mississippi State fired their coach on Monday; they still owe him four and a half million dollars. It's nuts, you know. And at some point, do do. People in a state, you know, Texas A&M is a state school, right? Uh, You know, if you are a state institution, which almost all of the Power Five conferences are, if you are a state institution, at what point does the public step up and say, what the hell are you doing with our tax money? How is this allowed? Now, Texas A&M will tell you, well, we owe owe Jimbo Fisher $76 million dollars. But it's not coming out of your bu- our budget. It's not coming out of the money that you gave us as a taxpayer. It's all private money. Every uh, big institution has a fundraising arm and a foundation, as it were. When I was at uh, uh, Central Connecticut State University, we had a foundation. And part of the f- the basketball coaches and football coaches' salaries came from the foundation. So it wasn't public money per se it was money that was given to by donors to the university every big school has that and so texas a and m will tell you that 76 million isn't your money it's the money that we raised so it's none of your business and and that's fair that's fair however as a taxpayer in texas or in Mississippi or wherever these other coaches are from that got fired. Don't the don't the people have a right to say, well, if you're doing this, what other kind of things are you doing in your university that's wasting my money? For you know, look at look at the University of Connecticut, where I lived for most of my life. The athletic department at the University of Connecticut is in debt up to their eyeballs. And it's because of mismanagement. There's no other way to put it. So at what point do the taxpayers say, all right, well, fine, you know, that's 76, but let me look at your books. Where else are you wasting money? At some point, somebody's got to ask that question because it's just dumb. And by the way, the 146000000 million doesn't count uh, the money that... Uh, Uh, Michigan State owes Mel Tucker, who got fired this year um, in the middle of a sexual misconduct investigation, and uh, Pat Fitzgerald, who got fired at Northwestern because of the hazing allegations. Um, You know, and they're both suing their schools to get the money that they're still owed on their contracts. And they're not going to get it all, but they'll get some of it. I bet you they'll get some of it. Um. $146 But $146 million in, a, in the last calendar year owed to coaches in college football that aren't getting paid. You know what? If you're a pro team, you do whatever you want. It's owned by a private individual or you know a private uh, collective. They can do whatever they want. But when you're talking about a state institution and taxpayer money and whether the money's coming out of a foundation or some of it's coming out of a foundation, whatever it is, there, it's legitimate to ask questions about. Well, what else are you doing to waste my money? And by the way, that's seventy six million dollars that's owed by Jimbo Fisher to, to Jimbo Fisher. It's unbelievable. That is so far beyond what any former fire coach fired coach has been owed. It's it, it's laughable. The previous record for a contract buyout at a public school was back in twenty twenty when uh, Gus Malzahn got. Was owed twenty one point seven million dollars. Jimbo Fisher's owed <laughs> over three times that. That's insane. But I think it's I think it's a legitimate question to ask. If if you are uh, uh, you know a taxpayer, you should say my public institution should not be doing this. And with the money that is in college football with the the, uh, the media rights to these individual conferences, the money that they get from these bowl games and winning the national championship, the money is so great that this is only going to get worse because the pressure is so great to win. You could make a case that the pressure to win in college football and college basketball is Tougher is a higher standard than it is in the pros. I guarantee you, if Jimbo Fisher was coaching a pro team and had the overall record that he did coaching an NFL team, he'd still have a job. He would still have a job. Jimbo Fisher is 45 and 25 at Texas A&M. He's 20 games over 500. He'd still have a job. I, I have a hard time seeing a scenario where a guy uh, would coach a team, be that far over 500, and not keep his job. So it's just nuts. Absolutely nuts. Uh, the other nutsy thing going on, of course, in college football right now is the whole thing with Michigan and Michigan against everybody, and again, they broke the rules, but there is going to be a court hearing on Friday. A judge is going to hear arguments um, about a restraining order that Michigan has requested against the three-game suspension of their head coach, Jim Harbaugh. Now, Harbaugh's already served one game of that, and obviously they beat Penn State. They've got Maryland this week. Look, I could coach that Michigan team against Maryland this week, and they would win the game. Okay? Um, You know, I think the issue here is they want want Jim Harbaugh on that sideline for that Ohio State game in two weeks. That's what they want. That's what this is about. This isn't about Maryland. This is about Ohio State-Michigan. Because on the line for that is who is going to be either the number one or number two seed in the college football playoffs. Period. So Jim Harbaugh said he is actually planning on being at the, uh, at the court hearing. He doesn't know if he's going to get a chance to talk about it, but he'd like to, you know, and, uh, you know, he talked about the fact that, you know, the, the, you know, and I'm sure this is going to be brought up in the, the case. The Big Ten didn't even call Michigan to, to, uh, to tell them first. It came out in social media before Michigan was even informed about it. You know, it's crazy. You know, why wouldn't – that should have been your first call, not to the media. So, and, you know, Harbaugh said, look, if 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 we don't get it, you know, Sh- Sharon Moore is going to continue uh, to coach the team, and, you know, they're going to beat Maryland by a bunch. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, as I've said, and this isn't against – I'm not slamming Michigan. I'm not slamming Jim Harbaugh. But at the end of the day, they broke the rules. You can make the case it's a dumb rule. Um, but the fact that at the end of the day, you know, in college basketball and in college football in, at the major Division One level, you are not supposed to be doing live scouting. You're supposed to be exchanging film or video, or, you know, in this case, you know, it's, you know, pretty much always digital, but you're supposed to be exchanging uh, film. And they, you know, systematically over the course of a few years, this one guy on the staff supposedly went out and was live scouting and stealing signs. And, you know, there's no, there's no, Nothing against stealing signs, but it's the live scouting thing. And at the end of the day, whether Jim Harbaugh uh, sanctioned it or not, they broke the rules. So there has to be some punishment. You could make the case that uh, maybe you know they should have let the NCAA continue or finish their investigation first, but this was a rush to judgment by the Big Ten because the rest of the Big Ten wanted to try to find a way to take down Michigan because they are the big dog right now. Because they are arguably the best team in college football, um, so you know at the you know at the end of the day, this was just a chance for the Big Ten to try to throw a monkey wrench into the Michigan uh, works. It doesn't mean that Michigan should there shouldn't be punishment for Michigan and or Jim Harbaugh, but the way it was done is uh, as the young people would say these days, a little sus. Um, so we'll see what happens, but it's it's coming up on Friday. And again, I I don't think they're going to get the restraining order. I, I think I I don't know if a judge really is going to want to touch this. You know, and uh, they'll win this week, and then you know the Ohio State game. Who knows? I still think Michigan's better than Ohio State. I think it should be a, a close game. Whether Jim Harbaugh will make the difference or not, I don't know. It was he was funny in his press conference yesterday. I watched it. Uh, you talking about, uh, you know, he, he was like like right on top of the TV watching the game. And, you know, it was uh, – uh, and, you know, and he said, hey, you know, the way we won it was awesome. You know, and uh, so he was – you know, and he was pretty laid back at in this interview. He wasn't acting like an angry guy. It just was like, you know, I, I think in some cases with some of the stuff that's been going on with Harbaugh, it's almost like he's just resigned to the fact that uh, his tenure there – whatever time is left is going to be a three ring circus. I'm still not sure uh, not convinced that he'll come back next year. I would not be at all surprised if they if they win a national championship. Let's say they, you know, get to the national championship game and they win it. I would not be at all shocked to see Jim Harbaugh ride off into the sunset, into the NFL. Or maybe stay home and play with his chickens. Because by the way, I did that's the other thing you found out yesterday. He has chickens. He bought his kids some chickens, I guess, for Easter. Um uh, a few years ago, and now they've grown up and uh, they've uh, uh, laying eggs, and he says he goes out in the yard and plays with them, and I have chickens, and so Jim Harbaugh and I, that's what Jim Harbaugh and I have in common. He loves chickens. <laughs> so Anyway, uh, it is 28 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll actually get to some uh, sports that happened last night. We'll talk about that Monday night game. What a wild one that was. Back in a minute, you're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake up call here on a Tuesday morning. Uh, so um, I did not watch the first half of this game last night. Um, my wife was uh, uh, home last night, so we watched The Voice. Uh, so uh, uh, she's a uh, we're both big fans of the show, actually. So I am. I watched the second half of this game. Um, but then you know you watch the highlights and stuff later, and just look. The Buffalo Bills lost last night to the Denver Broncos 24-22, to 22, and you could say, oh, man, you know, they got unlucky, you know, with a couple of things that happened, you know, on that final drive, yada, yada, yada. No, look, the Buffalo Bills are damn lucky that this was still a game. The Bills turned the ball over four times last night. Josh Allen with a couple of interceptions. James Cook couldn't hang on to the ball. James Cook fumbled the ball three times, lost two of them. The other one that he got back, it was late in the game in the fourth quarter. He had the ball knocked out of his hand. It bounced on the ground and literally bounced right back up to him. He caught it in the same stride and ended up gaining another 30 yards after picking up the fumble. It was unbelievable, but he was damn lucky that it wasn't a 3rd lost fumble. But Josh Allen last night threw 15 of 26, 177 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. He has become, all of a sudden, a turnover machine. He's turned the ball over in all but two of their ten games this year. He has thrown an interception in six straight games. It's the worst stretch of his career. Um, You know, it's – last night, you know, the entire Buffalo Bills team – shot itself in the foot, in the collective foot. You know, and the, the most egregious one was on the final play of the game or the next to final play, it turned out, because Will Lutz comes out to try a 41-yard field goal to win the game. He missed it wide right, but wait a minute. Buffalo had 12 players on the field. It's not even anything you can argue. They had 12 men on the field, so Lutz gets another chance. He bangs it right down the middle from 36 now, and Buffalo loses the game. That is the kind of mistake that is inexcusable. And look, Sean McDermott, the head coach, said, you know, look, we practice that every week. You can't make that mistake. Now, you could say that maybe the way, you know, maybe give Sean, uh, uh, maybe give the, uh, the Denver Broncos some credit here in that the way that they handled the end of the game by not holding on to a timeout or spiking the football, and stopping the clock Sean um the uh, the Broncos made the decision I keep saying Sean McDermott the Broncos made the decision to have Russell Wilson take a couple of knees so the clock is then running on fourth down there's like you know 23, 24 seconds on the clock. So the field goal unit has to sprint on from the sideline, put the ball down to kick the field goal. So all of a sudden, you know, and and then, you know, Buffalo's got to do the same thing. Their their field goal unit's got to come out. And, and you could make the case that perhaps by doing that, they created some confusion uh, with Buffalo and they just, you know, had too many men on the field. And the biggest, and maybe, maybe you know, the second biggest play happened just before that on a pass interference call. They had just sacked Russell Wilson and they were coming again. And Wilson takes two steps back and launches a ball, lobs it down the middle of the field. It's underthrown because he's throwing off his back foot because he's about to get hammered again. So he underthrows the receiver. It's supposed to be going to Jerry Judy. He underthrows him, so Judy's got to come back for the ball. Well, Teron Johnson, the defensive back, clearly commits pass interference. This isn't even one where you can say, well, you know, the referee should have put the whistle in the pocket or kept the flag in the pocket or, you know, that they shouldn't have done, you know, made the call. This was as blatant a pass interference call as you can possibly have. So instead of it now, you know, being fourth down, and out of field goal range, they've got a first down at the Buffalo 17. And that's when the taking a knee thing started and, and led to the missed field goal. And now the Buffalo Bills are 5-5. Five and 5-5. Five. Five and five. They aren't winning a division. Not only are they not going to win a division – There's a chance they don't make the playoffs. That's, you know, it's entirely possible. They are behind the Miami Dolphins. Now, the Dolphins have trouble beating teams that are any good. (laughs) But the problem for Buffalo is their schedule and the way they're playing right now. Now, they've got the Jets coming up this week. That should be a W, right? Okay. You could make that case, but... You could also make the case that the New York Jets are better than the Denver Broncos. Right? Uh, and you could make the case the New York Jets are better than the Patriots. And Buffalo lost to both those teams. They lost to the Patriots, who stink. They've now lost three out of their last four games, and those losses have been to Denver, New England, and Cincinnati. The Cincinnati one, you forget, Cincinnati's a pretty good team, despite what happened this week. So they've got the Jets coming up. You figure, all right, we'll give them that one. But then they have to play at Philly, at Kansas City, and then home with Dallas, and then at the Chargers. Their next four games. So four of their next five games, three of them are on the road. And four of the next five are against top flight opponents. Against the Chargers, Dallas, Kansas City, Philly, after the Jets game. So if you give them that, They've got to win on the road and then win at home against a very good Dallas team. Then they finish up the season home in New England. It's going to be a win. I don't care what New England did the first time. And then they got to play at Miami. And that's it, it it could come down to that. But the problem may be by the time they get to that Miami game, they may not be in the picture. I mean, right now, if you look at the playoff picture, they're in the hunt, right? Cincinnati is on the outside looking in, as is Indianapolis, Buffalo, and Las Vegas all have five and five records. And of that group, Indianapolis has the easiest route, I think. Indianapolis has the easiest schedule. Now, you know, whether Gardner Minshew is going to be able to lead them to the playoffs, I'll tell you what, that would be the, that would, boy, that what a story that would be. Um, but Buffalo's in trouble. Their schedule does not make it easy. So, and you also have to wonder, and this has been, you know, talked about, whether the Bills are going to consider doing something about their offensive coordinator position. They have, they have failed to score 26 or more points for six straight games. That's the worst stretch since Josh Allen was a rookie back in 2018. So something's not right here. Now, whether it's. Josh Allen that's not right, whether it's Dorsey's play calling that's not right, or or whether the offensive line isn't getting it done. Although you can make the case that offensive line was pretty good last night because they opened up some big holes for their uh, their running backs. They ran the hell out of the ball last night. And thank God they did because it kept them in a the game. They, they ran for 192 yards on Denver last night. Average seven and a half yards a pop. So, 5-5 five and five for a team that a lot of people thought was a Super Bowl contender. They may not even make the playoffs. That is just crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh, the Boston Celtics win last night. Uh, they were down at the half. They were down by as much as, I think, 10 points in the second quarter. They came back to make it a game. It was a one-point game at the half. Uh, and then the Celtics roll in the second half. Uh, it was still a, it was a tight game. I mean, I shouldn't say they rolled in the second half. It was still a tight game uh, in the fourth quarter. At one point, I think it was a three or four point game. But Celtics pulled away. Jason Tatum scored 17 of his 35 points in the fourth. Uh, Jalen Brown with 22 points. Uh, Porzingis had 21, and uh, the Celtics move now to eight and two. Uh, look, this is you know we we've. Saw them lose a couple of disappointing games. They did not shoot the ball well last night at all. Uh, Jalen Brown was especially bad. He was 7 for 18. He was 2 for 9 from 3. Um, they, You know, that was rough. I mean, thank God they made their free throws. Um, but that is a, you know, look, that's a good Knicks team. They had won three games in a row, so it was a big win for the Celtics last night. Celtics will play a huge game on Wednesday. They are at Philadelphia on Wednesday night. Um needs to be a little bit of payback there, and then the Knicks will be at Atlanta uh, on Wednesday night. The uh, baseball news from yesterday, Rookie of the Year were named in the American and National Leagues. No surprise here. Gunnar Henderson uh, from the Baltimore Orioles, the AL MVP. Corbin Carroll, uh, the NL MVP. Uh, what is surprising is that both picks were unanimous. That's the first time since uh, Aaron Judge and Cody Bellinger were unanimous choices back in 2017. Um, look, Gunnar Henderson's a hell of a player. He played both third and short this year. And, you know, if you look at the final numbers in a lot of ways, you can say that, uh, like, for instance, you know, Tristan Casas from the Red Sox probably had a better uh, offensive year than Gunnar Henderson. He hit 10 points higher. And uh the way he finished up the season, I mean, he hit after the All Star break, he hit three seventeen. At one point in May, Tristan Costas was hitting like one hundred fifty. And he finished the year hitting two sixty-three. Twenty-four home runs. You know, but the difference here, well, a couple of differences. Um Gunnar Henderson stole, you know, can steal bases. And Gunnar Henderson is a really, really good Defensive infielder Christian Casas, uh, you would say right now is below average. I think there is still potential for him to be a um, at least an average first baseman. You know, but he still seems a little bit awkward out there. He's a big kid, 6'5", 244 pounds, and um, but he can get better, and I think he will get better. But Gunnar Henderson is a hell of a player. And, you know, and Corbin Carroll, he he was just ridiculous this year. I mean, 54 stolen bases. He hit 285, 25 homers, uh, you know. And, and, you know, the, the other thing that's notable about both these guys, just a couple of years ago, both Arizona and Baltimore had lost like 110 games. And yet, you know, making the commitment to these younger players, made a difference. For Baltimore, it wasn't just Gunnar Henderson. It was, of course, making a move to bring Adley Rutschman up last year. You know, they've got some really, really good young players. You know, and Corbin Carroll, my God, you know, and he was ridiculous. Uh, Tanner Bibby, by the way, finished second in the American League, uh, the pitcher from the Cleveland Indians, and um, – uh, second in uh, the National League was Kodai Senga from the New York Mets. He got 22 second place votes, 71 points overall. Uh, James Outman finished third. Casas, of course, finished third uh, in the American League. But uh, bright future for all those guys. I mean, I you know I don't see any reason um, why Gunnar Henderson isn't going to continue to do. And by the way, Gunnar Henderson's number this year were very very close to what Cal Ripken had in his first full season back in uh, 1982. Now, let's not get carried away. I'm not saying Gunnar Henderson is going to be Cal Ripken Jr. and going to be in the Hall of Fame, but the numbers are kind of eerie when you look at it. I mean, they are very close and uh, same position, right? Third base, shortstop. Uh, I think that uh, uh, both these guys are going to be impact players for a long, long time. Corbin Carroll, uh, his athleticism, his speed, his power – I mean, that'll play anywhere. I don't care, Arizona or wherever. I mean, that kid is uh, is a lot of fun to watch on the baseball field. It is 45 minutes past the hour. We've got a little bit more baseball to talk about, some college basketball. Back in a minute, you're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. So it looked like the Red Sox, um, I was almost certain Andrew Bailey was going to sign as the Red Sox uh, pitching coach. I thought uh, he and Craig Breslow, um, have a long relationship. They're good friends. And uh, I thought that for sure he'd be the one to replace Dave Bush. Well, news just came down yesterday that he interviewed for the bench coaching position with the New York Yankees. Um, Of course, Carlos Mendoza, who was uh, Aaron Boone's bench coach, was hired as the manager of the New York Mets on Monday. Um, If you're Andrew Bailey... I mean, if you get offered the bench coach for the New York Yankees, it's a no-brainer. It'd be a, that'd be a you know I'd be disappointed for the Red Sox because Andrew Bailey, had, he was a hell of a pitcher in both college and the pros. He was a two-time All-Star, and he did a hell of a job with the New York with the San Francisco Giants uh, pitching staff. But Andrew Bailey is a New York guy. Um, I can't remember if he's either from Staten Island or Northern New Jersey, but he's from somewhere in that area. Uh, again, I watched him play in college. He played at, uh, at Wagner and was just ridiculous. Um, and, um, so if you get a chance to be a bench coach for a sense of your hometown team, uh, that's a no brainer. So I would, I would suspect that if he gets offered that position, he'll take it. Otherwise, uh, the Red Sox will have to snap him up. And of course, not only do they need to get a pitching coach, they need a third base coach as well, uh, because they got rid of Carlos Fabulous at the end of last year. So. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that. But that would, I really hope that uh, he ends up with the Red Sox, but uh, I'm not not optimistic if he just got uh, interviewed for the team that he probably grew up uh, rooting for. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers look like they are going to promote their uh, bench coach, Pat Murphy, to their managerial position to replace Craig Council, who, of course, went to the Chicago Cubs. Murphy has been with Milwaukee for the last eight seasons. Look, he's, this is a guy that's got all kinds of experience. He's 65 years old. Um, he was a longtime college coach. Uh, he co- he coached at uh, Notre Dame. He coached Arizona State, I think, for, oh, God, it must have been about 15 years. He was the national coach of the year while he was at uh, Arizona State. This is a guy that's been around for a long time. And then, of course, eight years um with Craig Council. By the way, he was Craig Council's college coach uh, at Notre Dame. So, you know, they have a long relationship, and uh, uh, the Brewers really didn't interview anybody else. It seemed like once Council went to Chicago, they kind of zeroed in on Murphy right away. So he is uh, likely to be named officially as the new head coach of the Milwaukee Brewers today. Uh, College basketball polls are out in the men's poll. Uh, Kansas still number one. Uh, they got 51 of the 62 first-place votes. Uh, Purdue uh, is number two. They got seven first-place votes. Arizona uh, jumped up from number 12 to number three. Got Even got a few first-place votes after knocking off Duke. So good for them. Marquette uh, up to number four. UConn uh, got a first-place vote. They are the number five team um, after uh, beating up uh, on a couple of uh, patsies early in the season, which a lot of teams do. And, uh, uh, James Madison, who, of course, is having a great college football season. Their college football program is undefeated uh, in the top 25. Well, they just were moved into the top 25 poll in college men's basketball for the first time ever after beating Michigan State in overtime. So that's pretty cool. Good for them. Um, Michigan State, uh, Plummeted in the poll after losing that game. Uh, Duke dropped seven spots. Um, so, anyway, it was pretty cool for to see uh, James Madison in there. I really love that. Um, Rick Pitino, of course, who has made his return to St. John's. They got beat up on by Michigan last night, 89-73 at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Rick Pitino, 71 years old, trying to revitalize that St. John's program. I think he'll be fine in the long run. Uh, he just needs a, a couple of recruiting seasons under his belt uh, he's got 10 transfers on there. Three of them came with him from over from Iona. Um, but that's just not going to be good enough to play on a, on a high level. So, uh, But I think they'll hold their own. They're probably a middle-of-the-pack kind of team um, in uh, the Big East. And they're going to get better. There's no question about that. Uh, and uh, Jared Grasso resigned as the head coach at Bryant University um, yesterday. Now, he had been on leave. Uh, he was... Under suspicion of uh, being involved in a hit-and-run um, incident uh, in Rhode Island, and uh, it was uh, and and it wasn't like uh, that he he uh, hit a person. I think he he uh, he hit another car, and there was some damage. And they said he failed to stop. It was a misdemeanor charge, but he had been on administrative leave at Bryant, um, and uh, has since decided to resign. He actually posted it on Twitter yesterday. Uh, and he just said that his role as a father and a husband is, uh, you know, and trying to do a coach's lifestyle with three kids is uh, extremely difficult. And so he's decided to step away. Um, don't know whether he was encouraged to step away or not. Jared Grasso, by the way, was a great college player. He played at Quinnipiac. And uh, that was at the time I was at Central Connecticut and at Sacred Heart University. I got to see his entire college career. <laughs> a young man could play. And he was a hell of a coach. He took over a. Program at Bryant that was hideous. Um, they were uh, the year before he took over. They were three and twenty-eight playing in the Northeast Conference, which is not a good conference to begin with. Um, if, if, excuse and, and pardon me, and no offense to any of my friends that are in the Northeast Conference, but you know when you know it, in the grand scheme of things, if we're if we're talking Big East or Northeast Conference, we know we're, <laughs> we know we know who's winning those games. But you know, look, but then they went ten and twenty that his first year. That back-to-back 15 win seasons. Uh, in 20, the 21-22 season, they, won, they went 22-10, and 10, won the regular season and the tournament titles, and went to the NCAA tournament for the first time in school history. They moved into America East last year. And, look, they went 17-13. They were 8-8 and 8 in conference play. They finished fourth. So, you know, this young man is, is a good coach. He'll be back. Um, I think he just needs to uh, – he's fo- only 43 years old. So he just needs to uh, kind of uh, probably reset after everything that has happened with uh, uh, with the incident with the police, and uh, hopefully, uh, I wish him the best because he's a good coach. He's a good coach. He was a great player, and he's a good coach. Very very intense coach, but uh, did a really good job uh, at Bryant. Uh, women's basketball poll is out. South Carolina jumps up to number one after uh, both. LSU and UConn, the preseason number one and number two, both lost. Uh, South Carolina uh, jumps all the way up to number one. It is the biggest leap uh, in the from the preseason to the first poll of the season uh, since the poll began back in 1977. Uh, nine of the 14 teams in the preseason poll all lost. So that tells you uh, where you know where things are at in college basketball, women's college basketball. The the competition has become uh, better. There's a lot more parity, which is great for women's basketball. It makes the entire uh, sport better. South Carolina got 23 first place votes. Uh, LSU, by the way, fell to number seven. Uh, UConn fell down to number eight. Iowa's second. They got 13 uh, first place votes, and then it was UCLA, Utah and Colorado to round out the top five. That is going to do it for us here this morning on the Wake Up Call. No show tomorrow. Um, So no show tomorrow, but we will be back. Uh, We're going to have Dan Zampano later on in the week, but – got uh, some things i got to do tomorrow so we will not have a show tomorrow but i appreciate you spending some time with us this morning don't forget if you miss part of the show you can find it uh, wherever you find your podcasts uh, we turn each of our daily shows into a podcast for people that aren't able to listen live we leave you this morning with some music from Old Dominion who recently was uh, named as the uh, vocal group of the year in at the CMA Awards it's the sixth time they've won it this is no such thing as a broken heart we'll see you on Thursday you've been listening to the wake up call on Sports Country